right, uh, let's read Romans 5, 1 to 5. Not going to use that, actually. All right, Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we receive in the hope the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. I'm uh, really excited to be able to open the word and look at Romans 5 with you all this morning. I think it's a great little passage and... I hope uh, that it'll be a real helpful encouragement to many of you, particularly I know uh, you've been wrestling through a lot of Romans, the first half of first four verses, four chapters, four chapters of Romans uh, the last couple of months. And I think this passage really kind of moves from the wrestling of what it says to a great hope. We see that word in there a lot and we'll I wrestle with what that means, what we can have hope in. Now, I should also clarify, uh, I know that you had the Archbishop speak yesterday. I'm not Archbishop, uh, and so don't have that same expectation. But hopefully, hopefully this will be a great time in God's Word. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you use it to teach us, uh, rebuke us, and correct us. And we pray that this morning, as we look at what it is to have hope, and rejoice in hope in you, that you would work in our hearts and grow us in our love and knowledge of you. Amen. Yeah, so um, over the last couple of weeks, months, you've been looking at the first part of Romans, and I think uh, last week, at the end of Romans 4, you looked at what it was to be credited righteous, uh, that it is not just for Abraham, as it says in verse uh, 4, verse 23 and 24, but it was also for us through Christ. And now this is a, a dense and profound idea that uh, Toby spent a bit of time on, and I think this morning Paul kind of expands on that further in terms of what the implications of this hope, of what this justification means for us. And so as we uh, think about that, I want to, ask you, what gives you true hope? What gives you true joy, true reason for rejoicing? Is it just the nice weather? Is it that little breeze in the morning? Is it the little things? Or is there something greater? Is it our children, our grandchildren? or um, potentially for no one in this room, but is it the people who desperately want to watch Taylor Swift when she comes in January or February next year? Now, if that is you, don't get your hopes up. There's, apparently there's 500,000 tickets available and already 1 million on the waiting list. So it's a good example of where you shouldn't put your hope. Um, 
You see, where we place our hope, where we look for answers is so important. And Paul makes this clear. And we're going to look at this hope in two parts. We're going to look at hope in justification and hope that we rejoice in despite suffering. Rejoice with hope in suffering. So let's start with hope in justification. Look again at verse uh, 1 to 2 with me. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As we start uh, in these verses, I think there's one important thing we see that's changed from chapter 4. It says, we. We have been justified. See, before this point, he's been talking about it as uh, things that have happened to Abraham, things that will also happen to us, but now it is we. We. This is not a distant theoretical idea, but us. What has happened for Abraham, what was promised for us also is indeed for us. We are not bystanders. The death that Jesus paid for our sins, the life, that he rose again for, for our justification, as it says in verse 25, is ours. It is complete. It is justified. It is not a matter of still to come. We have been justified. If you believe, if you have faith, you are now justified. We are now justified. And this changes everything. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, an important uh, person in uh, the Reformation, uh, is often quoted to say that the doctrine of justification is what the church will either stand or fall on. And the same goes for our lives. You see, as we look through what it is to be justified, it changes our life because in verse 1 it says, we have peace with God. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's the same idea as what will come uh, in the second half of chapter 5 as well, that uh, we are reconciled to God even though we were still sinners. Our relationship has been restored through Jesus. And it's not our doing, it is Christ. You see, in our, our sinful state, we are not able to have peace with God. We are not able to come near to God. We were enemies. Through Jesus, we have gained access. We have been invited in to God's family to be one of his people. By nature, we are not at peace. We war against him as we live out our desires. When Jesus hung on the cross, as he took the punishment that our sin deserved, he was raised to life for our justification. We have faith. Oh, we have hope. We have hope because of Christ. We are reconciled to God 
we have peace with God. And what hope and joy that gives us. What a great hope. You see, this isn't a peace that is just a, a kind of a gooey feeling. This is a status. A status that cannot be taken. This isn't just that nice, lovely, warm heart, but a true and deep hope. Uh, Maybe you've heard the phrase relationship goals. I think this is the ultimate relationship goal that can be reached. And it is something that though, though it is not just a gooey feeling, it should give us hope and comfort. Because we now have peace. We can now stand with God in his grace, in the love and mercy that he has shown for us. The love and mercy that is shown, that is believed, as we turn to God. And this allows us to boast. See, in the second half of verse 2, we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, we don't rejoice in ourselves. Uh, that earlier in verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 27, it says we don't boast in ourself or in the law. But here we, re- both, we boast, we rejoice in Christ, in our gracious and glorious God, the God who unites us to himself, who makes us right in his eyes. This is why, in many ways, um, in the first four chapters, Paul has been going through this argument of what it is to believe, what it is we need to do. He's proving a point, and now he's just praising God, saying firsthand, as someone who was once a hopeless sinner, he now stands justified. We now stand justified. He is no longer warring with God. We are no longer warring with God. We can rejoice in a saviour who has won life for us. What a privilege. What a joy to be able to stand with our God. This is why we rejoice. This is such a great hope that we can stand in. We stand in grace, not because it's something we have done, but it is God alone. God, something that he has promised all through time, as he promised to Abraham, as he's promised to Abraham's descendants, and we see this for us. You see, it is this rejoicing, this hope in God that allows us to continue even in difficulty. We rejoice with hope in suffering. Look at verse uh, 3 and 4 with me. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You see, he starts this with a really interesting phrase. First part of verse 3, 
not only say. Not only say. You're not, not just what you've heard. See, Paul, Paul, what he said just before is really important and we need to be listening to it. But he says, hold on. Keep listening. There's, there's something just as great up my sleeve. And what does he say? He says, not only so, but also we rejoice in our suffering. Huh? What? Why? Why would I rejoice in that? What? That sounds horrible. That doesn't seem right. But it is. You see, we've just been told about how gracious we have a God. Rejoice, the rejoicing we have in the hope of him. And so we should also rejoice in our suffering. Why? Keep looking at verse 3. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. You see, it's important to consider then what Rejoicing in suffering actually means. See, it says in the verse there, rejoice in suffering. It doesn't say rejoice for suffering. It's not now shouting for joy at the idea of pain. I definitely don't think he's uh, suggesting we should have a, a, a bent towards loving pain or even that we should become a stoic, a void of emotion or even the sense of karma. And it's also not saying that we should be, become martyrs, that if we don't suffer, we're not doing the Christian life right. But it's saying we shouldn't be surprised about suffering. You see, the world has taught us that life is good, that we should seek the good life that everything will be how we want it to be, and if it's not quiet, we just go and take what we need. And the world also then tells us that suffering isn't right, that there's something wrong. It's, it's not meant to be this hard. It's certainly not meant to be this. I don't, I don't deserve this. It's just not right. That's not what the Bible tells us. You see, the Bible tells us the opposite. Look at Job. He, he suffered. And he watched everything in his life fall to pieces. He had, he had no real idea why. But he isn't stoic. He expresses his pain. He mourns and he wails. When his friends accuse him of him having clearly done something wrong, he doesn't believe it. about David. He watched everything fall apart around him. Paul writes from prison. John the Baptist was beheaded. And Jesus, the one they all follow, was killed on a cross. I wonder if you're catching what I'm suggesting here, you see. We shouldn't be surprised when we face difficulty. What do we do instead? 
Verse 3. We rejoice. We rejoice in our suffering. Because when we face our suffering, we can know that God does provide. That he has a plan. And it, and it can be really hard to see that at the time. And we don't need to necessarily assume that it'll work out the way we want. But we can put our hope in him because he is the author and perfecter of our lives. That despite the pain, despite the uncertainty, we have hope. We have life in him, life that cannot be taken away. You see, this is why Paul starts with this message of hope, this message of assurance, of the hope we have gained through our faith, because that is what secures us and keeps us firm as we suffer. We rejoice in it because we can have hope in a God who is in control. See, and in these trials, in these sufferings, what do they do? It produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, is our character is shaped more than as our character is formed, we hope more. How? That sounds a bit of an odd string of uh, words to put together. Well, um, there's a theologian called... Uh, Douglas Moo, who suggests that hope is like a muscle. Hope is like a muscle. You see, it does not actually grow if it goes unused. See, if you have a gym membership, that alone doesn't make you strong. If only it did. You see, going to the gym, lifting weights, exercising, pushing through the pain, enduring despite the desire to give up because there's no immediate gain. As we endure, as we push through, that is what makes us strong. In our trials, our hope muscle is strengthened as we persevere. Not in ignorance, assuming that something will work out the way, but actually because we turn to God and trust that he will deliver. When we persevere, when we trust in God, our character continues to form as we are focused on the truths of who God is. Because many times that's the only thing we can fall back onto. And this is the hope it's a great song. And this is the hope that strengthens us, that reaffirms our hope in Jesus despite all that's going on. See, as that hope muscle pumps and pumps and pumps, as it, as it gets jacked, as people at the gym would say, we grow more in our assurance. We hold on to the hope all Christ has done for us. While we suffer, we can also remember that Christ suffered. 
that, that in fact in his suffering, he has done all that we need and that he is there with us. It is uh, similar to the image that comes up in many other places of being refined by fire. Then in the face of trials, we, we are shaped more and more. The old useless parts are gone and the stronger, the better, the refined, the pure is what is left. You see, it's easy to say this, isn't it? It's easy uh, to get up here and say that it'll be easy, that uh, in trials things will work out the way we hope. When push comes to shove, we must work at this perseverance. It's not always easy. Because perseverance is, is an active word. It's an action. It's not sitting back and going for the ride. Persevering is standing firm and working hard at it. Not thinking, of course, that our action alone will win anything for us but knowing that we stand firm in the grace of God. You see, as we stand firm, despite the challenges, it matures us. You see, if life was all uh, silky smooth, we, we often feel we don't need God. I, I think I probably would. I'd probably think, oh, I'm doing well enough on my own. Start thinking that my own abilities, my own strength, my own convictions will get me through. See, our struggles remind us that there must be something more and that we have a God we can fall back on. I think this is really easy for us a lot of the time. Um, yesterday when I was flying down, the flight was delayed. I, I'd really planned on coming uh, yesterday morning to hear the Archbishop, uh, but my flight was delayed. It was meant to leave at 2 a.m., which is already horrible. Um, and then they said, I'll be another hour. Okay. Sitting on the plane, waiting for it to leave at 3 a.m., left at about 3.30, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, why is this? This is ridiculous. Why is this happening to me? And there's another lady who got on the plane who couldn't put her bag right above her head. She had to move it to the other side and she said, this is such a bad day. That's, if that's the level that makes a bad day, life's pretty good. But you see, clearly her and I both need to have our hope muscles pumping a bit more. We need to be more willing to persevere in these very futile struggles. To not be so quick to be self-involved and think, woe is me, but to trust in a God who has done far more for us, far more for me, than I probably deserve. See, despite these trials, we persevere in hope in a hope that does not and will not put us to shame. 
a hope that will endure all. A hope that can defeat anything. Because it is not a hope in ourselves, but a hope in a God who has defeated death. See, I wonder where you put your hope. Hopefully it's not in your chances of seeing Taylor Swift. But is your hope in something else that isn't God? Is your hope in a getting to the top at work? Is your hope in having saved enough money that you can spend your holidays, your retirement, travelling Australia and visiting your great friends in Darwin? Is your hope in seeking approval from the world, from your family and friends who don't actually care about church? See, our hope is not found in any of these things. Our hope is found in a God who has brought us peace with him, a God who gave his life for us, a God who has poured out his love for us as it floods into our hearts through his spirit, as he gives us the hope of salvation freely. A God who looks at us through the lens of his son, Jesus, and sees us as righteous, sees us as justified. This is where we find our hope. This is the hope that helps us live. So that in times where family and friends might think we're crazy for going to church, not understand why we bother praying before we eat. And in times of sorrow, we can know that Jesus is there, that Jesus through his spirit is with us and that he has given us the greatest hope we could ever hope, the hope of salvation the hope of peace with our Father and a hope that allows us to persevere and stand firm, rejoicing in a mighty Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your Son to take our place on the cross. We thank you for the hope that we have in him and that despite the, all that goes on in the world, we can stand firm in him, in our Saviour and Redeemer. Help us to live knowing that you are our King and help us to find our hope in you alone. Amen.